This program is sponsored by Walter Anderson Nursery. If you have a green thumb or have always wanted one, then get ready for Garden Talk by Walter Anderson Nursery, hosted by Ken Anderson, along with David Ross, Mark Mahady, and George Allman. Garden Talk aims to introduce new ideas, help solve problems, and keep you up to date on the latest developments in the nursery and landscaping industry. Call in now with your gardening questions, 888-344-1170. That's 888-344-1170. Now, here are your Garden Talk hosts, Ken, David, Mark, and George. Good morning, San Diego. You're listening to Garden Talk here on KCBQ and KPRZ. I am Ken Anderson along with David Ross. Mark Mahaney and George Allman, we're going to be here for the next hour talking to you about all kinds of stuff going on in your yard and garden. Good morning, guys. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. A little overcast in my neighborhood this morning. Clear of my place. Not in my place. Not where I am, and it's also a little, little chillier than the last couple mornings. Actually, you know what? I shouldn't say clear this morning. It was very clear last evening at my place. So you don't know what it, this morning? No, I saw stars. This it was morning. clear. Okay. It was clear last night, but it wasn't this morning. Okay. Then, a little I fog this morning. Far enough east. And Thursday evening went down to my down to the cul-de-sac next to us for yeah. driveway happy hour. Set up on my friend's driveway, and we were out in the sun, and we were just baking. I mean, it was it was hot. And then they have a uh, my other neighbors lined off a pickleball court in the in the cul-de-sac that's open for anybody to play you, you don't play that day no i do not do i do, do not it. um but a bunch of the guys were were playing but we had a, a had a, a exhibition game i guess you could call it and we moved over into the there's some trees around the cul-de-sac so it gets kind of shady and we moved over into the shade which when we first did it was great because it was yeah. It was cool. It was welcomed. And then as the sun started to go cold. down and the yeah. wind started to pick up, it was freezing. Yeah. I had to I had to put my jacket on. Yeah. So we're getting old. Well, we are. Yeah. yeah. Well, I am. Oh, I me, me too. Thursday night, it was I have been sleeping with my screen door open. Mm-hmm. And Thursday night it got so air quotes cold, I had to pull blankets on over me instead of just a single instead sheet. of just a sheet. Yes. Well, it you know, you're, get, you're our resident meteorologist. It's going to be a little warmer this coming it, week it in is. the we're, evenings, right? We're, we're going to have what I like to refer to as Hot. George weather this week. Ooh, I like um, that. My my sister was very concerned about you being in San Francisco <laughs> last week. Was it warm enough for you there? Um, it was warm enough most of the time. When we actually went up to the Golden Gate Bridge, it became very cold, and we actually aborted our trip across the Golden Gate because it was so fogged in and cold and we weren't really dressed for that. Yeah, were you walking just, or? We were walking. Yeah. Oh, I was yeah. going to say, we, if we you're walk in a car, everywhere. No. <laughs> we walk everywhere. We do a lot of walking, but as we we approached the bridge, it was nice. And as we started to get up, we just there was nothing to see. There was no view. So there were, we just There's stopped nothing going. There's nothing to see here. I was would it, think somebody would Was your, it foggy or? Oh yeah, yeah oh, fog, okay. it, it was rolling okay. in. It was one of those you know classic San Francisco pictures yeah. that you could see like the you know the bottom the of the bridge, right the but then after a while you you couldn't even see the underside of the bridge. So. Isn't your background in training and being prepared? It, it is yes. And you didn't have a piece of warm outerwear to protect I had you, a so you jacket. could walk it across wasn't adequate. the iconic San Francisco Golden Gate Bridge. But again, there was once you started walking across it, there was nothing to see. You couldn't look over towards the city and see the gorgeous view. It didn't exist. So we 
changed our mind. All right. But we're supposed to have but anyway, hot but weather it was here warm. this It week. was warm outside of that. It was lovely Good. up there, yes. Yeah. Um, we had a wonderful time. I'm not sure what it is, but Cindy is really worried about your temperature. <laughs> and well, I appreciate it. It's going to be... We're going to have a warm warm week, but last week or last month on the 21st, what 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 arrived? If you could I um, go go back in time, we need that music that goes back in time, but I think that was summer. Summer. Yep. And this week it's supposed to be summer in the like. upper 80s, maybe into the low 90s in the valleys. And doesn't that usually happen in the summer here? Quite often. Okay. Okay. I just wanted to I get confused. You know when I get old, er as I do, I get confused. So I was just, it is warm. And remember to water. I'm still hearing people at the nursery tell me we had so much rain this last winter that they're not really that worried about watering and yeah. things aren't. Yeah. How long has it been? It's been months, well, months I think, yes. since we've had any significant yeah. rain. And it, it is, you know, all kidding aside, it's going to be quite warm. So there, if you need to get ahead of the watering, don't wait till it's, it's 95 degrees right. ago. I probably should water my plants. Get, it, get them a good soaking before that occurs. Yeah, I've I've got my sprinklers back on again and actually increased duration on a on a couple of on a couple of areas just to make sure that they don't don't get too dry, especially now that it's getting hot. Although they probably wouldn't get as dry if I would put some mulch down, which I haven't done yet. You should listen I, to this show. We talk about that occasionally. Have we mentioned that before? <laughs> I had a large load of mulch dumped in my yard from a tree trimmer and I've been putting it around my trees and <laughs> it's in it's in mounds in some areas because i haven't spread it yet and then i gave a well my neighbor came over and picked up a wheelbarrow full and then put it in mounds in her yard because that's the way she saw that i had done it well i just hadn't finished the job no that's funny when are you going to break it to her that she has to actually spread it out the word has been it has been has come down yes yes the, you know, we, we talk about the benefits of mulch. We, we have a large pile of pine shavings that have not been spread yet. They're just, they're just there in a, a large pile. And about a week ago, I was moving them to show Capri the benefit of it. And the bottom, which is a good probably 10, 10 inches, 12 inches down, was damp. It wasn't soaking wet, but it was still mm-hmm. damp. And that's from the last rain. It, there's no irrigation in this area whatsoever. And it still holds the moisture. So you're saying that what we just said three minutes ago about it had not having rained and that they need to water is now contradicted no, by your I'm, mulch. No, I'm speaking to the Ken moisture. the yeah. benefit of putting that mulch down because it, it holds that dampness and coolness, not necessarily enough and, to support. And it, but it reduces the temperature. Exactly. There's no evaporation or little evaporation through it, and it cools the soil for to, to encourage what? The old microbial activity that we love so much. Yes. I would imagine it also encourages worms. Yes, it does. It does, absolutely. old microbial activity under a spell? (laughs) No. Uh, Yes, it does. And I thought you were going to tell us that there were already worms starting to show up at the bottom. There are. There are. I didn't go there. I was just talking about the the dampness and how cool it was. But, yeah, there are a lot of worms underneath all the mulch. Well, you've done it with with, uh, straw. You lay straw out and it looks like they they come from the straw yes, you lay the does. straw and they're there yeah we've been selling a lot of chopped up straw it's been it's been a nice addition for garden it is so pretty and clean you don't mm-hmm. get bales of straw that is that use immediately user friendly and clean well the bales it's a much it's much longer yes it's much stranded than the right chopped and this up is straw. so perfect for putting in and around your plants it fits into a raised bed or garden bed 
more easily than, than the, the straw bales. Yes. And we use the straw bales, which again has been incredibly useful for keeping the moisture in and encouraging worms. When you move it, there are usually worms available right there looking to, to work in your garden for free. Mm-hmm. It's not true. slippery when you walk on it. Isn't it like pine needles? I, I no, haven't. I haven't noticed no, that. But no. if you kept it wet on top all the time, I would guess that it would get slippery. But no, because I know pine needles can get. If they yeah. get if if it's deep enough, they can get True. they can get pretty yeah. slick. I, I I'm picturing where you're going, but I haven't seen I haven't had any issues with that. But. I don't have walkways of straw. It's, it's we, we have it, and I, and, I, and once when you put a lot down, I don't think it's slippery at all. And and I think actually it's less slippery when it's wet, if that's possible. Could be, yeah, could be. It binds it. Let's see. We've got garden classes oh, that's today. Right. I forgot about all of that stuff. Go ahead. Yeah. Garden classes today at nine o'clock in San Diego. It's going to be milkweed one hundred and one with Ryan. So if you're interested in growing milkweed for our Monarch friends, uh, that's a uh, great class to sit in on. That's at nine o'clock in San Diego. At nine thirty in Poway, it's going to be uh, composting with Tyler Trimble. Uh, always a popular class, so make sure you get there early to get a seat. Next Saturday, July fifteenth, um, tea time with Kathleen. I'm not sure what that's going to. I'm assuming it's going to be about making tea. your own tea. So that's going to be at 9 o'clock on Saturday in San Diego. And at 9.30, it's going to be Backyard Tropical Fruit with uh, Mike Letzring from the San Diego Zoo. So that should be an interesting class as well. Um, Then on the 22nd, Container Do's and Don'ts with Constance in San Diego at 9 o'clock. And uh, another very popular class in Poway, Fairy Gardens with Richard Wright, which is kind of surprising that they're still a thing. You know, it's funny, they they came on really strong for a while, and then they faded out, and now they've been back for, what, 10 years now? Is it something like that? It it came back strong. It came back very strong. I enjoy just the miniature gardening aspects. Mm-hmm. Whether it's a fairy garden or not, just putting in, taking a space and making a small garden out of it is really neat and interesting. It's kind of like a... A whole bonsai garden, not in a dish, but in a small, in a small space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much so. Uh, let's see what's going on in Balboa Park this weekend. San Diego Cactus and Succulent Society meeting, show, and sale from eight to seven o'clock uh, in room one hundred one. Um, next weekend is the San Diego Dahlia Society. Uh, annual show and sale that's friday saturday and sunday uh speaking of dahlias when mel and i went to the fair which was oh i guess almost two weeks ago now um they had a bunch of dahlias in the o'brien pavilion as part of the flower show they were there were some really really nice blooms there they were they were spectacular they were i, I they love were really dahlias neat. it's a it's a fantastic remind me to talk about plant. dahlias in san francisco at the conservatory Okay. Oh, okay. We will do that. Uh, let's see. Then later in the month, uh, 21st, 22nd, and 23rd, it's the San Diego Turtle and Tortoise Society show, uh, and the Orchids and the Orchid Society summer show and sale rounds out the month of July on the 28th, 29th, and 30th. Um, if you're interested in following along for yourself for the for the botanical garden, it's SDB. SDBGF.org, the San Diego Botanical 
Garden, Garden Foundation. Foundation.org, sdgbf.org. Um, they have their calendar of they have their calendar of events listed, and they also have the calendar of meetings for the different plant societies. Um, if you're interested in getting involved in one of the the local plant societies, and believe me, there's there's a lot of them. Uh, pretty much any plant that you're interested in is going to have a um, is going to have a society that meets on a regular basis, and they can use your support. I'm sure they to would keep love them going. I'm sure they would love it. Um, and then, oh, and then in first weekend in August, mark your calendars. Uh, it's the San Diego Carnivorous Plant Society annual show and sale. So that I may have to go to that one. That that could be a very interesting, uh, a very interesting uh, show for sure. I think most of them would be. Oh, yeah, a lot of them just are. Yeah. Take the time to take go the time down to there. go down there and and, and see them. Uh, you're listening to Garden Talk here on KCBQ, KPRZ. If you would like to give us a call, 888-344-1170 is the number. That's 888-344-1170. We're going to take a break, and we'll be back with more Garden Talk right after this. your gardening questions answered by calling 888-344-1170. That's 888-344-1170. There is more Garden Talk on the way. Welcome back to Garden Talk by Walter Anderson Nursery. Got a gardening question? Call 888-344-1170. 888-344-1170. Now, here's your hosts, Ken Anderson, David Ross, Mark Mahady, and George Allman. And we're back. With more Garden Talk here on KCBQ and KPRZ, I am Ken Anderson along with David Ross, Mark Mahady, and George Allman. Um, David, you and I were talking um, just a couple days ago uh, about fruit production and your, your apricot. I can't remember which one it was, but you said it, it started royal. to ripe. The, the royal. old school. Old school fruits are well, actually the fruit this year, partially because I watered a little more last summer, but mostly because of all the rain we had this year. The fruit production has been tremendous this year on everything. But some of the old school fruit, I, I think my best apricot is the royal that's just starting to ripen. And I think it was better than the um, cotton candy aprium. Is that possible? Of course it's I would possible, say so. Yeah. But, you know, if you, look at our, if you look at our bare root fruit tree list, the majority of the stuff that's on the bare root fruit tree list is old stuff there's there's new things most of the new stuff that's coming out are inner generics and some of the cherries and things like that but for the most part the stuff that's on the list is is old tried and true well true um varieties the right? last apricot apricot i almost called it an apricot oh my goodness the last apricot that ripens in my yard is the royal and it, i'm sorry it's the last one that i planted it's the last one that ripens but it's the last one i well, next to the last. But it's I didn't get it because I got all the new ones because I thought that would be better and cooler. But the flavor on that, and I, I was eating Santa Rosa plums this week, and it may not be for everybody because there's that tartness in it, mm -hmm. which I really like. Cool. Yeah, I love that too. 
I'm comparing it to the Dapple Supreme Pluot, which is very good, but it is much more mild in its flavors. So I like the, the little tang. The sprightness, the tang yeah. of the Santa Rosa plum. And last year, I didn't get any because the squirrels got them all. And <laughs> I know we're not going there, but <laughs> this year I've had some. Um, and it's just, it's, it's interesting. I remember bringing in a couple of different mandarins for you guys. And some of you liked the, what I thought was the sweeter but less flavored one better than the tango. And the tango has had richer flavors, but then it doesn't may not be perceived as as sweet. And that's what's I think going on with some of the the newer fruits. You know, how many customers do we have come in and say, I want the sweetest they don't ask for a specific mandarin, they want the sweetest one. They don't ask for a specific plum. They say, What is the sweetest one? Well, it's the one with the least amount of acid, which may be the least amount of fruit of uh, flavor. Mm-hmm. So well, I guess that's a better question than those that say which is the best, because again, yeah, that's open to opinion, right? Yeah. Well, absolutely. And which is the sweetest? I guess you could come up with some empirical data for right. it, way beyond my capabilities, yeah. capabilities and skill sets <laughs> or desire. But uh, the Dapple Supreme is very good. It looks great, but it doesn't have the richness of flavor. So. And maybe that's why I like the Royal Apricot because um, it has a little bit of a kind of a tiny bit of a tang to it, a little tartness to it. Yeah, apricots typically do. I think so. not. Oh, not a cotton candy apricot. Not a cotton candy. But that's not an apricot. Oh, are you going to split nits with me? Well, see, it's like like Green Gage plums. I mean, the the skin is very tart, but the inside of it is like a. Ball yeah, of sugar. I mean, they're so incredibly yeah. sweet, uh, but it's the sweetness is tempered by the tartness of the skin. Yes, that's, that's one of the reasons why I like them so much. It's a, a, that's a that's probably my favorite plum. Is a I green gauge plum. Noticed yesterday that my green gauge plum, which was it's only a year old, and it was one of those little sleeve pots. Mm-hmm. Could have used water a day or two before it got <laughs> it last night. But it, <laughs> is it looking, still alive? Yeah, yeah, oh. yeah, yeah. It, it's it just got a little stressed. Your trees are an investment, so spend the money and water them. Yes, sir. Okay. A- absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm, you know, short-circuiting the automatic sprinklers because I can do it better. I know exactly <laughs> when. <laughs> right. And then I keep leaving them on, fortunately, just to a trickle, but I keep forgetting to turn the darn things off. Are the sprinklers? Your... Why don't you put them on a timer? Well, it's the hose. Oh, they have the sprinklers oh. are in disrepair. We well, should just get a ti- one of those inline timers for your hose. You like the one sitting on my desk? Oh, that could be. Yeah, I could. Is that hooked up to yeah. the hose in your office, and you just haven't put the other end out yet? <laughs> no, it's not <laughs> okay. that at all. Dark, so you're talking about some of your plums. Are your is your elephant heart ready yet? No. We have a ton of fruit on ours, and they're just about ready, but I can't eat them till Wednesday because I sprayed Spinoset on them the other day. The elephant hearts are ready at your house? Yes, they are. What's the wait period on Spinoset? Seven days on plums. Why? It must... Seven days on plums. I wonder if it's absorbed into the skin easier. So, But we had red-humped caterpillars, which we might talk about <laughs> we, later. Yeah, but we, they were I've all, got that were, on my list They here. were decimating the tree, so I sprayed Spinoset. The next morning, they were, they were done. They were gone. No, you could have sprayed BT. I could have sprayed BT, but I didn't have any. Oh, And so I went okay. out with Spinosad, made enough that I could go do all my citrus for the second spring of citrus with the Spinosad for a citrus leaf miner. I would have. Speaking of citrus leaf miner, I put out traps last weekend 
I've got citrus in a couple of places in my yard. Put put out put one trap over in one part of the yard and put one trap in the other. I checked the one in the side yard. There's nothing in it. Nothing at all. I mean, not even a wayward fly that got in there. I mean, it's completely clean. I didn't check the I didn't check the one by the tangerines, but I'll do that this afternoon when I get home. But I was really surprised because my my trees have a ton of growth on them right now. I haven't seen any leaf miner. I was going to say not death. exactly. Knock on wood, this I have year. not seen it, and I was I was attributing it to my I sprayed this year twice, but actually. I don't think they were quite as active. Perhaps the late, all the rain, and they got I a later think the start. Older weather, yeah. the delay, I think may have maybe it'll sh- knock probably them down. Come out with a vengeance this week with the heat, but we shall see. Yeah, I was, I was, I was shocked that there was there was nothing in the trap, nothing at all. So that that really surprised me. I mean, I, I'm pleasantly ha- surprised. I'm pleasantly surprised. Right. I'm happy. I did spray the, I did spray the new growth with. Um, Spinosad last week also just to be on this just to be on the safe side but uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens because there, there's so much new growth that could really take off right i was looking at my elephant heart plums yesterday and they're getting to size but they have barely begun to put color up any up. of their colors are, so I, they're they're purple and i was debating they're just like I, I sp- are you sure they're elephant heart plums I, well unless you we mislabeled them at the nursery You're somewhere between two i would guess two to four weeks ahead of mine how is that plausible I, I, I'm eating stuff that I, I shouldn't be eating right now that are just ready. So All right. it's working well. I'll All take right. you a picture of the tag and of the fruit okay. when I get home. And the tree. I want to see the tree. Okay. Uh, so as George had mentioned, one of the big things that we're seeing come through on a fairly regular basis pest-wise is uh, red hump caterpillars. Just kind of a hairy little caterpillar about about an inch and a, yeah, inch, a inch bigger, and a quarter yeah. with a red head with a big it. red head on it and once they and they get on or actually it might be on the back end actually i they, think about it that's the red but no, it's, got a, it's, it's got, got a red, red on spot it. yeah it's got a red well, spot on, on one end or the other one or the other um but they'll go after all kinds of stuff uh, in they a, do liquid in amber a, plums walnuts uh i saw it on somebody had posted pictures of it on Circus. They eat surces I mean, as well. It, yes. it was yeah. loaded with them. I, I couldn't believe how many were on yeah. it. They'll get willows. But they're rel- relatively easy to control. Um, One application of Spinoza said Wednesday night, Thursday, they were dead. They, they, that will take care of them. Yeah. Um, if you're concerned about cross-contamination on other things, um, BT will take care of them as well. Correct. Yeah. If you have it. If you have If you have them, yeah. <laughs> if if See, if you don't have them, BT's not going to do anything for you. That's right. You. It'd be yeah. like David keeping it on his well, desk. I would yeah. have just said, you know what? I'm going to wait till tomorrow. I'll pick up some BT at the nursery, and then I would have forgotten BT, and I wouldn't have done anything, and it would have just they would have eaten my plants. Yes, was, I, that's I was the way to do set it. on getting it done. Good job. So. There's no time like the present. Get while the getting's good. Strike while the metal's hot. There you go. Keep going. Yeah. <laughs> um, and one of the other things that we're starting to see come through, um, pear slug. Pear slug and rose, rose slug, slug, right? Uh, rose slug, especially. I mean, well, actually, both of them. As soon as you start to see the damage from them, you've got to get that under control, or yeah. they will just your, your plants will just get decimated. Uh, uh, and they're at least with the rose slug because the plants are relatively small. They're they're easy to control. If you use one of the systemic rose care, that should prevent it from getting a foothold but if you don't and they do get a foothold a quick way to knock them down is the bare three and one spinosad would probably spinosad take care of it does work well. actually insecticidal soap is listed in ipm as a way to control it but it takes hmm. more all the contact effort. killers right. work really well yeah. very quickly and but what doesn't work 
is dun, BT. Dun, dun. Why Be- not? Well, because it is not a moth it's not or a it's not a moth or butterfly larva. It's a fly larva. So yeah, therefore BT will not work on it. It's technically a maggot. So Correct. I was just gonna yeah, say, right. why don't we call it a maggot? Because it's disgusting. Instead of calling it a slug? <laughs> yeah. I mean, don't we generally call fly larva maggots? Correct. Yes. But, it, but, you know, when you look at the, the difference between the one that's on your pear trees and, and the ones on your roses, they look completely different. The one that's yeah. on your pear tree or plum tree looks like a slug. looks like a tiny little slug. Well, the other one looks almost like looks a... looks like a shiny bird dropping, I would yeah, I, I will you. give you that, too. Okay. Um, but the other one looks almost like a little inchworm. The, yeah, bris- the right. bristly rose slug looks like a tiny inchworm. Yeah. I was telling George I had a... For a long time, I had a red leaf plum in my oh, front yard, wow. and yeah. uh, the pear slug would get on that, and it would just it would wipe it out. It would it would take all the foliage off of it. It was it was pretty wild. We had a customer bring in a a leaf, or it was a small branch that or that had that much damage on it. But I've never seen that much damage from pear slug before. But this year, and maybe I'm guessing it's it's because of different weather, weather patterns early in the year, certain things like the pear slug, we're seeing more of it this year and less of the leaf miner. Yeah, they, yeah, they did sure a, a number true. on my cherry trees. Yeah, they it once it once it gets a hold, it can it can really it can really take off. Another one that we've seen come in a couple of times is black fig fly. We've had at least two cases of it show up in Poway. Uh, you can tell one of the things that you can if you're just look if the the figs will look okay from the outside but if you look closely you'll find an entrance hole where they have deposited the egg and the larva gets into it if you cut the fruit open you'll find a tunnel a tunnel um brown kind of frassy stuff inside kind of frassy and it's it's a it it can be a real problem however there's no there's no there's no control for it right now right no 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 control for it right now and as a matter of fact if you do find it um you are encouraged to call the ag department and let them know um if you're not sure whether you have it or not you can bring a sample into either of our stores we can take a look and uh let you know what what's going on for sure but we'll post that information with the phone number on our facebook page later today yeah and it, it, there is a and there is a page from the university of california that gives you some more background information on it the big thing is but oddly enough we talk about not moving citrus they say don't move figs out of the counties that have this fly and interestingly there are 90 percent of the figs that are grown in california are in the central valley that doesn't they, surprise me they don't have any incidence of this yet as far as an infestation we have oh, it in man. southern california so where is it distributed here right now it's san diego riverside san bernardino los angeles uh ventura um and i think san luis obispo counties santa barbara as well to the southwest corner Just, of the state yeah well basically. all the way across through san um does it go through san imperial? bernardino oh, oh san, I but not imperial san Ber- but not Imp- not imperial no. i forgot san bernardino goes yeah. all the way across right you're listening to Garden Talk here on KCBQ and KPRZ. If you want to give us a call, 888-344-1170 is the number. We are going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more right after this. Yeah. 
Get your gardening questions answered by calling 888-344-1170. That's 888-344-1170. There is more Garden Talk on the way. Welcome back to Garden Talk by Walter Anderson Nursery. Got a gardening question? Call 888-344-1170. 888-344-1170. Now, here's your hosts, Ken Anderson, David Ross, Mark Mahady, and George Allman. And we're back with more Garden Talk here on KCBQ and KPRZ. I'm Ken Anderson along with David Ross, Mark Mahady, and George Allman. Uh, one thing I spotted in the store in Poway. Can, uh, can I, before oh, you go, go there, ahead. can we go back to the fig fly for a minute? Yeah, go ahead. So we talked about people bringing them in, but we say don't, they say don't spread them. So within the county, within the counties where the fig fly is, you could bring in fruit to, for us to try and help identify that that is what it is Mm -hmm. and then are we supposed to are they supposed to call the ag department so that the ag department knows the geographic location i believe so that's what i got out of the pest alert okay okay sorry i just wanted to clarification clarify yeah and it's okay to move within the county i i wouldn't i'd just bring it in so we can Take yeah, a look I think at what, what what I got out of that was don't put it in your car and drive up to the Central Valley where they don't have yeah. it, where they where don't have the, the inf- <laughs> right that makes perfect sense yeah. okay now you may go forth. Um, spotted in the Poway store um, some bonsai blue jacarandas okay. we have a few five there's a few five gallons floating around neat plant um, mine in my front yard is only six feet tall it's multiple branch but it's from the base, but nice it's, a, it's about six feet tall. Small tree. Right. Yeah, my dad had a nice one in his front yard, but he croaked it. I don't know what he did to it, but it it didn't make it, which is unusual because everything else in his front yard has grown like a weed, like uh, the cousin it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's the biggest cousin it I've I have ever seen. It's a beautiful ground cover. Yeah. Looks the, uh, really the, nice. Are we talking the acacia one? Or? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, I have one in my front yard, but it's not doing anything like the one of my dad talk to your dad maybe he can give you some pointers yeah i yeah i should i i probably or maybe should. you could call 888-344-1170 um what was it there was one other thing that i saw that the was pomegranates yeah the dwarf we got we've got some dwarf pomegranates in from uh monrovia i think they're in gallon containers they're loaded with flowers now those are the ornamental they're ornamental yeah right. they don't they don't they, they don't produce, produce an edible fruit they do well, they, they're not they very do? good yes I, yeah it's not know. good oh i've never seen <laughs> but well. it does they're not they're fruit. not toxic it's they're not going to kill you <laughs> is what is what you mean but by it's not going to make you smile you when you eat no. it either yeah. no. edible. but beautiful beautiful little plant a really really nice plant. it is a wonderful ornamental and yesterday i did a yard doctor in carmel valley and a gentleman had a very nice small pomegranate tree in his little fruit orchard and it was loaded with flowers <laughs> and he was not happy from when i told him that it, it was, was an ornamental good, exactly yes my, and then my neighbor has them this brings me to every yeah. every week when i leave i think gosh we didn't talk about the it's pomegranates so um mark's neighbor in the parkway has some dwarf pomegranates and they are gorgeous looking usually with flowers on them right. sometimes small fruit for most of the year exactly That's they true. don't go completely dormant do they no they don't which is that because of added warmth you said in the i me- think it's it, yeah in the median of, or something I, or? probably okay. yeah there's brick and all right yeah but they it, and it's in the claremont area right so it's a more temperate area but it's they're what probably about three feet tall and two to three feet wide right and they're a perfect little relatively clean 
uh, shrub. Right. That that gives you color through much well, of the year. Yeah, exactly, most of the year, yeah. And in a bind, you could eat them to stay alive. Yes. Yeah. Staying alive, staying <laughs> alive. I was, uh, when I was doing some research for the show this week, I found an interesting article on the uh, KPBS website. Now we're, oh no, I'm going to preface this that we are not taking a stand one way or the other, but we thought this was, I thought right. this was an interesting Join me topic. up on the fence, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> topic for a discussion. Um, and it, it states, uh, when most of us think of honeybees buzzing around our flowers and doing the hard work of pollinization, we don't think of them as an invasive species, but that's exactly what they are in San Diego. Uh, they're bad for some of San Diego's plant life, especially when it comes to our region's native plants, according to UC San Diego researchers. So this isn't just somebody mouthing off. I mean, the, these people have it could some, be these people have <laughs> these people should have some credentials. Um, should seeds or probably seed, do seeds or seedlings that are produced through honeybee pollination were anywhere between two to ten times less fit compared to the seed and seedlings that are cross-pollinated by hand or by native pollinators, said Dylan Travis, former UC San Diego ecologist and author of a paper in the Proceedings of the Royal Society. Um, B, whatever Isn't that this means. how World Wars start? It may be. <laughs> Honeybees were brought to California in the late 1800s to pollinate flowering crops. Now they are so numerous locally and statewide that an estimated 90% of the bees visiting flowers in, flowering plants in San Diego are honeybees. The problem is honeybee, the honeybees you see buzzing around plants have a higher calling. Their first priority is to serve their colony and the queen. This means they must be efficient pollinators. They, so they spend a lot of time on the flowers of a single plant in order to gather as much nectar as possible in one place. And when they move from flower to flower on the same plant, they are self-pollinating that plant. Think of it as inbreeding, which makes sense. Um, meanwhile, the 600 different species of bees that actually are native to Southern California behave differently, moving quickly from one plant to the next. That results in a lot more cross-pollination which is much, which is a much healthy, healthier process for native plants. This is partly because they are solitary bees that don't need to gather nectar to feed a whole colony. Native bees don't communicate the location of resources to other others in a colony. They are only providing for themselves and their offspring, so they don't have to be as efficient as honeybees in their foraging. Travis said. Um, black sage and white sage were among the common native plants the UC San Diego research team examined. Without cross-pollination, or without cross-pollination, the offspring of these plants are like are less likely to germinate, develop, and reproduce. Uh, that leaves the question: Is there anything that can be done about dominance of honeybees in San Diego County? Okay, this is where I are you diverge the, where okay. I leave the chat. Um, I personally would love to poison every feral hive in a 20 by 20 mile square and watch for 10 years to see if we see if we get more native bees, but I don't think that's possible. Okay, um, break into small groups and discuss. <laughs> said, well, I would like to repeat. <laughs> said John Ken is just reading. A I am just UCF. reading an article. I am okay. not advocating that. Okay. Uh, said Joshua Cohn. It's an interesting concept, but yes. I, I'm not advocating it. I said Joshua Cohn, UCSD ecology professor who worked with Travis on the bee research. Um, so, as you say that, oh, go ahead. There's, uh, but oh, wait, oh, there's, there's more. There's more. <laughs> a, a lot of science has shown that it negatively impacts our native pollinators. Travis said, uh, 
and said of the dominance of honeybees. So we need to change the public's attention from honeybees, this massively managed agricultural species, to our native pollinators who are completely wild, unmanaged, and actually threatened. So Do you know what's anyway. really good about that? No. It what's can, really good? It can create discussion. I've never yeah. thought about things in those terms, and when we think about pollination, right. pollinization, <laughs> easy, easy for, for you, you to say, say yeah. I want all of my fruit trees pollinated. Right. So mm -hmm. I want these queen-serving colonies yeah, of bees. Yeah, you, you want as much yes. as, as possible. Um, but Without the know, genetic the, diversity, because you're not taking those seeds from those trees and planting the, them. Right. The name of the bees themselves indicates that they are not native. They're European or Africanized honeybees, whichever you happen to have in your yard. Um, but the the other interesting thing too is that you know they it, when you buy honey, a lot of times you can buy specific honey. You can buy alfalfa honey. You can buy clover, clover, right. rosemary, citrus, rosemary. Right. And when you think about it, the, those hives are probably in the general area. Well, orange honey, the hives are probably in orange groves. And if they're going out and working the, for, the, for the hive, that's all they're going to bring back is, is, the, is the nectar from the oranges. And those are not feral hives. That, that, no, those this are. This article right, yeah. is discussing feral ones in the wild. One, ones in the wild, but. Um, I think you can extrapolate that he's I, talking hives I, in general. I, I, hives right. in general, but typically, if I, if the hive, if they're production hives, they're going to be in specific areas, with almond orchards, citrus orchards, wherever. Uh, but one thing that they did say, you know, with the honeybees, they work the same flower and and pollinate the same flower, and it causes inbreeding. Well, if that's the case, any self-fertile flower would do the same thing. Would it not? Yeah, but did it mention, are the feral hives, they're doing lots of pollinating. Are they doing anything to the native species? Are they... are they Dislocating? I, I, well, are they I, dislocating it, them? Are they destroying their hives? I don't, are they killing no, them? Yeah, I don't think they're talking about the... So the, why can't they coexist? Well, they can. It's just that the... I think what they're pointing out is that the honeybees, because of their pollination... Practice. As far as reproduction is concerned, is you can know, be an issue. Okay, let's go back to that original story for a moment. Mm -hmm. They go from plant to plant, one flower, one flower. It would seem to me that that probably is still happening. One flower, one flower. They're only doing a minority of the flowers but, anyway. But if you look at honeybees, they stay on the same plant. So if you see and, a ceanothus in bloom, a, a California native ceanothus with European honeybees on it, those honeybees are going all over that one plant, pollinating it. And if we didn't have the Europeans, I think what the article's saying is you would have natives going from one or two flowers on there, then going to another plant, plant, increasing genetic diversity in the seeds of those plants. Does I think that's the what article, they're trying to say. I know, I, 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 I yeah. get that. But does the article say that the natives are not going from one or two flowers and on because there's too many European honeybees there? Um, that's my... I, don't, I, I see where you're going, but I, maybe you, they're getting pollinated they, and they're they not force, getting the opportunity. Are the, are, the honey, are the European honeybees forcing the natives out? Are they and, forcing them out or are they, or are they pollinating, pollinating before so they much can? that there's nothing left for the... That, that would be that's my a, take, that they're pollinating before the, a single plant before the natives can get in there and pollinate. That's a good question. Although, you know, we, but, you know, here's a good, great go segue. 
on August 5th at the Poway store, we are going to have a class on bees. And the person that's teaching it, Denise, is the vice president of the San Diego Beekeeper Society, Beekeeping Society. And she's going to talk about native bees, a little bit of honeybees, but specifically about increasing um, plant diversity in your yard to bring in bees of all sorts particularly natives i but. think there's about 20 different variety or 20 different species of native bees in san diego county making an inclusive garden an inclusive garden you know one of the one of the problems with native bees because we've we've had stuff for mason bees for a while but it takes a long time to build up a population of mason bees i mean that's not just yeah one and right, done right. i mean it, it 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 takes a while to, to get to get them built up i'm not saying you shouldn't try but it's just something to think about you're listening to Garden Talk here on KCBQ and KPRZ. If you want to give us a call, 888-344-1170 is the number. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back with more right after this. Get your gardening questions answered by calling 888-344-1170. That's 888-344-1170. There is more Garden Talk on the way. Welcome back to Garden Talk by Walter Anderson Nursery. Got a gardening question? Call 888-344-1170. 888-344-1170. Now, here's your hosts, Ken Anderson, David Ross, Mark Mahady, and George Allman. Don't you badmouth my song. And we're back. Don't you badmouth my more garden talk here on KCBQ and KPRZ. Don't do it. I See, it's funny you say that because as that came on, I was watching him for him to shake his head at this song. Yeah, me too. And I did. And you did. <laughs> so you don't disappoint. Thank you. You're so predictable. <laughs> I uh, like that song. Uh, me too. I'm glad you do. And yeah. David does as well. I'm and glad Mark you guys does. do. Thank yeah. you. Okay, Somebody Mark has doesn't. to. I don't think we are the only ones. We may be the only ones in this room who like Edelweiss, but we are not the only ones. Okay. Uh, <laughs> well, after you've wiped out all the bees on the planet, we have to... That was, like I said, that was just an article, yes. It was just an article. I know, and it's, it's interesting, because it actually made us think and talk. Yeah, it's a, it, it's, it was an interesting discussion, and... and it was an intro. I I really enjoyed reading that article. It was some. I never thought I would have seen that. So, but we're um, going to be fending off people for the next year about you wanting to poison all the bees, <laughs> kill all the bees off. I heard Ken say, yeah. um, "We're going to go to the phones. We're going to head out to Lakeside where Steve is waiting." Good morning, Steve. How are you? Hey, good morning, guys. Hey, I enjoy your show and listen to it as often as I can. Thank you. So, hey, so um, I have a, a miniature. It's a spice Z nectar plum tree, and I've had it about six or seven years, and this is the first year it's really put out fruit. Uh, usually I just get one or two or three or so. But um, it, it, this has always been the case. The fruit is really deformed and calloused over, and uh, it's there. <laughs> This year, I mean, they're really good, and not all of them are like that. But uh, it's they're it's uh, it's pretty odd, and they, I they don't look very good uh, in the fruit bowl to offer to people, do they? No, no, they're not. Um, as you would say, you know, they they 
they eat all right, but you you wouldn't be able to sell them for oh, nothing. I, I like so. that term. They eat all right. I like that. Uh, it probably was a thrip problem as the flower uh, was pollinated. As soon as the fruit forms, the western flower thrip gets in there and feeds on it and causes that scarring as the fruit matures. Um, you can you can treat that with something like spinosad as soon as the flowers are pollinated. Okay, so um, that would be like when, um, so I'd have to go back and when it's blooming and right, uh, not when it's blooming, blooming because um, the spinosad is a microbial insect insecticide. It's a bacteria, but it's moderately toxic to bees when it's wet on flowers. So you don't want to do it while the bees are pollinating, unless you're trying to poison all the bees, as Ken mentioned earlier. Uh, but you can That's use that. That's not what he said. You can use that after they pollinate and the fruit sets. sets yeah. And you can use that. And there's a great, great article if you're interested. Just go type in UC, IPM, and then Western Flower Thrips, and you can come up with what to do for that. But it's very common on, on nectarines and uh, the spicy nectaplum. Which is a great fruit. Okay. You're oh. absolutely right. Okay. When you get done there. I'm, I'm done would... with that part. Yeah. Okay. It, okay. Does make I, them look, I, uh... it does make them look bad. And for some reason, it seems like the spice Z, they are worse. Because there's more deformation in the spice Z. Most of the other nectarines, they just have discoloration. But the, my spice Z gets really deformed as well. But the yeah, Western exactly. flower thrip is the culprit. I, I have a plum right next to it and a peach and then another nectarine. And the other nectarine just, uh, yeah, a, a little bit of surface stuff. And, and they don't bother the other ones. But uh, Right, yeah, they don't impact the plums and the, and the peaches, I guess, protect themselves with the fuzz. But they certainly will get the nectarines and the spicy. Okay. Uh, well, thank you very much. You're I welcome, really Steve. Your show, guys. Thank, okay. thank right. you, thank you very much for listening. We really appreciate it. Have a great weekend. Oh, you too as well. Okay, that, take care. That reminds me. My daughter admonished me about a month ago because I had never told her that a nectarine is a fuzzless peach, and I kind of thought everybody oh, that's knew pretty much a given. A nectarine was a fuzzless peach, but there are people in this world that think a nectarine and peach are two separate, different things. But they are not. A nectarine Wait. is just a fuzzless peach. Isn't That's, it a sport? I don't know. I believe it was a sport. If I, I have to go back and look that up. We had that email from a customer whose who's white nectarine he thought was a white peach that just was smooth. So there was one other person other than my daughter um, who didn't realize that nectarines were just fuzzless peaches. That's why I like them better than peaches. Yeah, me too. Be honest with yeah, you. but see, peaches don't have western flower thrip damage because they're protected by their peach fuzz. Well, but that's the problem. The fuzz. Or the, the fuzz. Yeah. Or the solution. Well, yeah, the glass is half empty in exactly. Ken's world. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> yes. Edelweiss hating person. It's <laughs> right up there with the bees. My goodness gracious, there's a lot going on here this morning uh, another interesting thing that i saw out and when i was walking around the shade house yesterday uh for a long time we've had the um the silver trailing dichondra okay yes uh, yeah there's a green one now um emerald falls hasn't dichondra always been green but it doesn't always trail or it doesn't it doesn't spill as much as much um, All right, but I had, it has bigger leaf, had, and leaf it has present. a bigger. I, I actually, th I actually thought it was a um, a type of viola at first because it kind of looks like 
Interesting. Uh, viola. The, the flower's big, or the flower, the, the foliage is big. So uh, that's what I thought it was at first, but it, it's actually a, a trailing or spilling dichondra for hanging baskets and things like that. My dad's got the silver uh, dichondra planted in his front yard, and it just took over the section that it's in. It's really nice, and there's no weeds in it. And I'm guessing that it must be because it's it grows thicker, grows deeper than, than regular yeah. dichondra does. So it doesn't allow, or doesn't your dad chokes him out. There or he may day. actually get out there and do something about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's probably what it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I we repotted our uh, amorphophallus last week, and the bulb has mm-hmm. gone from eight inches across to about fifteen or sixteen inches. It's huge in in a year, and I just that reminds. That's the me. corpse flower yeah, for people yeah. that aren't familiar with it yes thank you and why am i bringing that up right now because there's gonna be another one because the one in san diego is finished blooming and falling apart oh it is already i I think so oh never mind the one at the botanical right yeah it bloomed last week i think it was oh and we were uh capri and i were at the what's it called up in san francisco the conservatory the the conservatory of flowers theirs was just about to open while we were up there and the crowds were gathering every day to go in there we had some folks that were talking to me that said they went every single day waiting for it to open that that one up there was taller than you wasn't it most things are taller than me so (laughs) yeah yeah that was uh, that was the first time i'd ever actually seen one it wasn't in bloom, but when I was up there about six or seven years ago, uh, it it was in a tiny container. It was in a much smaller container than what ours is in now, and it had at least two trunks on it. And at the base, the biggest one was probably close to eight inches in diameter. Well, I expect we will have more than one trunk on ours this year when it comes up. Yeah, because there was some extra. Is it a tuber or a corm? I guess it's a tuber. I don't yes. know. Whatever I'm, it is. I'm hoping for a flower. But there was, yeah. we put it into a 24-inch box. And before it went into the 24-inch box, it seemed like the 24-inch box would be big enough for it. And afterwards, but I thought, now, now, now we probably should have put it into something bigger. But it should be up uh, through the soil within the next week or so. I would say so, yeah. And then it only takes it about a month before the stock comes up, and hopefully the flower this year. The bulb really, it probably tripled in size. It wow. was huge. Wow. I was I was really surprised at how big it was. In that uh, but, pot that everybody said, oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say earlier, you mentioned dahlias and mm-hmm. the Conservatory of Flowers. When outside, they have a dahlia garden. Oh. And it was spectacular. And I, and I know that there are lots of different um, cultivars, but I had no idea there were so many. It's so yeah. many. It's gorgeous. It's crazy. You've been listening to Garden Talk here on KCBQ and KPRZ. We'll be back. There you Walter go. Walter Anderson Nursery, <laughs> your source for gardening, landscaping, and horticulture news. Still have a question for the Garden Talk crew or want to learn more about the show, how to become a guest or sponsor? Send an email to askanexpert at walteranderson.com. That's askanexpert at walteranderson.com or visit walteranderson.com. There's more professional gardening advice next week at this same time on Garden Talk by Walter Anderson Nursery.